us for you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Hashem, with our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Hashem, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Amen. And I want to give a special Todah Rabbah to Zakin Yosef for asking me to teach. Zakin, come on. I really appreciate it, brother. You have to do that. So if you will open your Bibles, as Rabbi would say, to Bereshit 16, we are going to follow the portions that uh, Rabbi set forth so we can make it through Bereshit in one year. How about that? Bereshit 16, and we're just going to start reading here. Now Sarah, Avram's wife, had not borne him a child. She had an Egyptian bondwoman whose name was Hagar. Sarah said to Avram, look, God has kept me from having children through whom I might perpetuate myself after my life in this world is over. My essence is therefore in danger of being lost from this world. Therefore, come to my bondwoman. Take her as a concubine and engage in marital relations with her. Perhaps through the merit of sharing you with her, I will bear children of my own and thereby be built up into a matriarch whose essence will be perpetuated. Avram discerned that Sarah was speaking prophetically, so he heeded Sarah's voice. Avram and Sarah knew that the Torah requires a man who's been married for 10 years has not fathered children to take an additional wife to try to have children through her. Although they had been married for a number of years prior to this episode, Hashem had only promised Avram and Sarah offspring when he commanded them to move to Canaan. So they understood that they should calculate these ten years only beginning from that point in time. Therefore, it was only in the year 2033, after Abraham had lived in Canaan for ten years, that they decided upon following the following plan. His wife Sarah convinced Hagar, the Egyptian, her bondwoman, to marry Avram by telling her how fortunate she is to have relations with someone who has sanctified his physical body. In this way, she gave her to her husband Avram as a second wife. Verse 4, he conducted marital relations with her and she conceived immediately. And when Hagar later saw that she was pregnant, she regarded her mistress with disdain. She concluded that Sarah was a hypocrite. If she, really, if she was really as righteous as she pretended to be, why didn't God bless her with children as he had blessed Hagar from her very first conjugal union with Abram? Verse 5, when Sarah heard Hagar's words, she said to Avram, I do not blame Hagar for feeling this way. You are to blame for the wrong of my humiliation and deserve to be punished for it. When you entreated God for children, you prayed only for yourself instead of for both of us as a couple. Moreover, you see 
it was I who selflessly placed my bondwoman in your bosom. And now that she sees that she is pregnant, she regards me with disdain. And yet you do not admonish her. Let God judge between me and you. And she turned to Hagar and said again, As for your accusations against me, let God judge between me and you. And Hagar miscarried. Verse 6, Avram replied to Sarah, Here your bond woman's fate is in your hands. Deal with her as you see fit. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, giving her hard work in order to break her ego. So Hagar ran away from her and went into the desert. An angel of God found her by the spring of water in the desert next to the spring on the road of Shur. Hagar was accustomed to seeing angels in Abram's tent, so she was not afraid. He said, Hagar, bondwoman of Sarai, from where are you coming and where are you headed? Obviously, the angel knew where Hagar was coming from, but he used this question to start a conversation with her and detain her. And she replied, I am running away from Sarai, my mistress. A second angel of God appeared to her and said, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her dominion. A third angel of God appeared to, and said to her, I will grant you a multitude of descendants, and they will be so numerous that they will be uncountable. Verse 11, a fourth angel of God appeared and said to her, You will again conceive and will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for God has Shema heard your outcry. He will be a wild man who loves to hunt in the desert. He will be a robber. That's Menashe's word. So his hand will be set against everyone, and therefore everyone will hate him, and their hand will be set against him to attack him. But... His offspring will be numerous, so he will dwell in the company of all his descendants. Hagar gave a new name to God who had spoken to her through these angels, saying, You are the God of seeing, who sees all but cannot be seen, who has mercifully seen my humiliation. For she said, What I have even dared to think, that I would be privileged to see angels here too by myself, after having seen in Abram's tent, the one that must be very righteous in order to merit such privilege? Certainly not. It is only out of God's mercy that he sent me these angels. Hagar's declaration proved that she had repented of her previous haughtiness and had thereby earned the right to now return to Abram's household. The well was therefore called Be'er Lecharoi, the well where the living angel appeared. It is between Kadesh and Bared that is sure. Hagar again conceived and bore a son to Abram, although Hagar never told Abram that the angel had instructed her to name what to name this child. Abram was invested with divine inspiration and gave the name Ishmael to his son, whom Hagar had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram in the year 2034. And I need to read a little bit more of chapter 17 here. On the 12th of Nisan in the year 2047, when Abram was 99 years old, God appeared to Abraham again. Abram again, sorry. This time in order to prepare him to conceive a child through Sarah. He informed him that he was about to give him the commandment of circumcision. Abram expressed concern that differentiating himself this, this way from other people would discourage them from joining his religious movement. So God said, I am God Almighty. I can overcome this possible repercussion, so you need not worry. Walk in my ways and everything will be fine. Hmm? And in addition, please be perfect. That is without any defect in walking in my ways. Pass the test I'm about to give you just as you have passed all the tests 
that I have made you undergo so far and continue to pass my future test as well. Walk in my ways by observing the commandment of circumcision I'm about to give you and through this be perfect. For as long as you remain uncircumcised, I consider you blemished. Finally, although you have ascended as far as you can by yourself on the ladder of self-refinement, you are still not in control over five of the 248 parts of the body, your two eyes, your two ears, and, and your male organ. You have no control over what you see or hear, nor over how your body reacts. But now I will grant you control, and you will be perfect. You will be able to ignore sights and sounds and control yourself. You'll present your present control uh, Abraham is 243. I will now add the letter Hey to your name, thus increasing its numerical value to 248. Now I will make a covenant between me and you to love you in the merit of your observing the commandment of circumcision, to give you the promised land, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. And as he always did when God spoke to him before he was circumcised, Abraham threw himself on his face. And God spoke to him saying, as for me, here is my covenant with you. You will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer will you be named Abram, meaning the father or the ruler of Amram. Rather, as I told you previously, I will insert the letter Hey into your name and thus your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of homam of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into two more nations descended from your grandsons, the Edomites and the Jews. The kings of these nations will also descend, for you, descend from you. And I will also maintain another aspect of my covenant between you and me and your descendants after you throughout your generation as an everlasting covenant. Your descendants will remain true to the divine mission with which you will inculcate them. Thus, I will be able to be God both to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give the land in which you are sojourning the entire land of Canaan as an everlasting heritage to you and your descendants after you. Here in this land, I will be a God unto them. But I will openly manifest the special relationship of those to your descendants who live outside the promised land. And God further said to Abraham, As for you, your obligation in this relationship is that you keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Namely, this is my covenant between me and you and all the current members of your household and your descendants after you. For you are to keep, to circumcise every male among you. You are circumcised the flesh of your foreskin. This will be a covenantal sign between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you must be circumcised when he is eight days old, including every male born of non-Jewish bondwoman, whether he was conceived when he, she already owned by your household or whether he was bought for money from a stranger who is not one of your descendants, along with his non-Jewish mother when she was pregnant with him. In contrast, any male born in your household of a non-Jewish woman who was purchased not as a bondwoman herself but only that her offspring be bondservant, and any non-Jewish male bought with your money as a bondman after he was born must be circumcised. My covenant will thus be in your flesh as an everlasting 
covenant. An uncircumcised uh, male who does not circumcise his foreskin, that soul will be cut off from his people, for he has breached my covenant. And God said to Abraham, regarding Sarah, your wife, you must not call her anymore by that name, Sarah, meaning my princess. For Sarah, meaning princess in general, is her name. Like you, she will be the progenitor of many nations. Unlike you, I will remove the letter from her name that is unrelated to its new meaning. And what letter is that? The Yud. I will bless her by restoring her youth to her and will also give you a son from her and I will also bless her with, abundant, with abundance. She will give rise to the nations. Kings of peoples will issue from her. And Abraham threw himself on his face in joy and laughed in joy saying to himself, wow. Were it not for God, would a child be born to a 100-year-old man and would Sarah at 90 give birth? And Abraham said to God, I am unworthy of a miracle like this. If I would be content, if only Ishmael would live in awe of you and succeed me. And Hashem said, still, Sarah, your wife, will indeed bear you a son and you must name him Itzhak. I will maintain my covenant only with Itzhak as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Regarding Ishmael, I have heard you. I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and extremely numerous. He will father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Amen. All right. So, where do we go? I mean, you read something like that, and you're asked to give a drosh on it. Where do you even start? I mean, I don't know what, I don't know, I mean, literally, I had to just stop and think, well, so Sarah was barren, Sarai was barren, Hagar, she was an Egyptian bondwoman, she was given to Avram, uh, she gets pregnant, Sarah kicks her out, she said, I'm out, several angels came to her and said, you're in, go back says his name will be Ishmael. Avraham, Avraham was 86 when all this went down. Then when he's 99, Hashem appears to him and says, I want to give you a new covenant. I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to add the letter Hey to your name. Uh, by the way, I want you to go to a new land. I want you to keep my covenant. Be perfect now. I need you to be perfect. Uh, I need you to circumcise yourself and all the males among you and of all the babies, they need to be eight years old when you circumcise them. Eight days old. What did I say? Eight years. No, no. Eight days. My bad. Sarai's name is going to be changed to Sarah. Don't call her Sarai anymore. She's going to have a son. He started laughing. He rejoiced. And then I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in Zach and uh, Rafer's passage and steal a little verse because she laughs too and she gets in trouble. <laughs> so anyways, this is an enormous uh, chapter and content of something to teach from. But I want to back up and just do an 
overview of what Lech Lecha means because when this word of God comes to Avram, it couldn't really have come at a worse time. And what do I mean by that? The Rambam and Avodat Chochavim says that basically Avram was like a celebrity in Nimrodville. Everybody know the story of what happened with Nimrod, the fiery furnace, and the idols, and all of that went down. If you don't know that story, go look it up. I'm not going to get into it right now because uh, it's just going to take too much time. But it's a powerful story of where Nimrod, you know, basically, Avraham is making a fool of all these idols. He says, this is just a bunch of nonsense. And word travels up to Nimrod. Nimrod said, who are you calling nonsense? Threw him in a fire. Hashem rescued him. But what happened was Hashem appeared to Avram and said, when you faced Nimrod's furnace, you were willing to die for me. But now I need to know, are you willing to live for me? The first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to lech lecha. Your mimlo, dateka, you're going to have to leave your relatives, your birthplace. You're going to have to, and by the way, that's why community is so powerful. Because when you follow Torah, you can find yourself very lonely. You can find yourself ostracized from family and friends and, and co-workers. So if you don't have community to go to, then that's going to be a problem. Well, this is where he was. In fact, the separation was so great that the distance between, between Terak and his son Avraham, it was as if Avraham started a brand new world. There could not have been a worse time for him to leave. Here he is now. He was a celebrity in Nimrodville. And what happens? Now he's a refugee. How about that? But he had faith. Back in chapter 12, Hashem says to Avraham, go for yourself from your land. Go for yourself. Does that make any sense? In Hebrew, you say lech lecha. From your birthplace, from your father's house, and to the land that I will show you. To the land that I will show you is the phrase I want to focus on. El ha'aretz asher arecha. El ha'aretz asher arecha. To the land I will show you. Did he know where the land was? Did he know where he was going? He had no clue. But Hashem said, every step that you take, as the Midrash says in Bereshit Rabbah 39.9, every step you take will be a reward for this land. In the Zohar Chadosh, in the Midrash, Neilam Lech Lecha 30b, says that when Hashem spoke to Avram and told him to leave, he was speaking to the neshama that's in the world of the neshamot, telling it to leave to a land that he will show it. And go clothe yourself in a body. And the neshama says, wait a minute, I don't want to go down there. And Hashem said, go to the land I will show you. This is what a Zohar concept is, that Hashem, when he speaks to Avram, it's as if he's speaking to the neshama to go into the body of Avram and teach Avram's body how to keep the commandments. To teach his body where to go, because he doesn't know. To teach him how to survive in the wilderness. 
I'm going to try not to preach this because I don't want to embarrass my family. But yesterday I did a little practicing in the kitchen. Dorothy was watching the, washing the dishes. Eshai, you may need to excuse yourself here for a second. But uh, she said, you ready? I said, I got, a, I got a couple pages down. And I said, you want to hear them? She said, sure. So I said, when Hashem speaks to you, you got to leave. You got to go where you don't know where you're going. And she looked at me and she said, I'm right here. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. You just disappeared. And I saw Sarah Shalom there for a second. El Ha'aretz, Asher, Areka. If we examine, this is from Shivlei Pincus Friedman, that if we examine man's lifelong journey in this world from the moment of his birth and his very first breath until the neshama departs from his body and returns to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we find that the entire journey is shrouded in mystery. Can you relate to that? No human being has a clue what's in store for him in this world. Will his journey be smooth? Will it be straightforward? Will it be complicated and full of obstacles? Will it have ups and downs? Where will he be required to spend his life? What mission has HaKadosh given him to fulfill in his lifetime? And here's Avraham. Not only am I going to send you to a place you've never been, but I'm going to change your name and turn you into a brand new person. You're going to be the first Jew. How does that sound? But I don't want to go down there. I mean, I'm happy up here. <laughs> wow, I can only imagine this. Hashem says again to the land, El Ha'aretz, Asher Arecha, I will show you. I will show you. I will not abandon you, Hashem is telling him. But if I spill the beans and tell you exactly who you are, where you're going, what to do when you get there, blah, 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 you're not going to need me for anything. So I'm not going to do that. Because every step that you take, I want you to rely on me. Now we're cooking. Okay. Okay, if you're not going to leave me, I'll go down there. I'll go down there, the Neshama says. And I'll teach this guy. So whenever you arrive in, your, in the crossroads of life, this is where you are actually in the mode to correct and make tikkun for something. This is when the teshuva overwhelms you, you begin to cry and seek out, and Hashem shows up and says, that's okay, that's okay, let's take another step. As any parent would console their child when they fall, it's okay, let's take another step. Rabbi Benjamin says that all people are considered to be blind until Hashem opens their eyes. And the very purpose of Avraham leaving Nimrodville is for one reason, and that is to connect the other people outside of Nimrodville to Hashem through the mitzvot. That is what his mission was. Every step of the journey. And Avraham went as he was instructed by Hashem. It's a powerful story. But I want to I turn a little bit. And I want to say that Avraham was not alone. That he was with Sarah. Beautiful Sarah. 
You know what Sarah's name means? We read it here in the, in the Torah. Anybody remember? Princess. It also means senate. So when it says in Yeshayahu, the government will be upon his shoulder, that's Misra. The senate, like Congress and senate, that's what they need up there in Washington. They need Sarah to show up and say, listen here, fools, y'all ain't got this down right. All this impeachment nonsense is ridiculous. Y'all wasting everybody's time, everybody's money, and making a mockery out of the United States. All they got to do is look at the name of Sarah. Because that's what Sarah is. When it says, Yaakov wrestled with the angel, what did he do? He Sarah with the angel. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He sure did. So this is, this is something powerful. Her name is not just princess. Her name is a, it connotes a wrestling. When Hashem speaks to you and tells you to go, you better be ready to throw down WWE style. This is serious business. If you sign up into the Marines, our son's thinking about, bless his heart, signing up to the Marines, you better be committed to the Marines. There ain't no getting out of Torah. When you sign up to follow Hashem, you are signing up for the greatest army of decorated soldiers there have ever been in the universe. You've got to be committed, willing to wrestle, willing to fight, and willing to bring balance and order in all of Hashem's judgments. That's what the Senate does, supposed to do anyways. Who was this Sarah? Can I read something to you? From the Tan Chuma. I'm right here. <laughs> A little puppet show. <laughs> the Tan Chuma says... <laughs> Rabbi, I'm really trying to hold it together. <laughs> Who is Sarah? Who is she? Listen to this. You're talking about a love story. Man, y'all don't even know. I came into the bedroom. I said, Dorothy, would you pause YouTube for a second? I got something to tell you. <laughs> she said, what is it, Mikael? I said, listen, baby. I'm going to read to you the eulogy that Avraham read over his wife, Sarah. You ready for this? A woman of valor is the crown of her husband. When I said that, I started weeping. It's like the wailing wall. Thane and I were talking about the wailing wall earlier. First time I got there, you know, you're about 50 yards away from it. When you first get there, I just started, I just started crying, uncontrollable crying. And when I read this to my wife, I started crying again because it refers to a, 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 a prayer that I pray over her every single Shabbat. The Eshet Chayil. Solomon didn't invent that. This was, according to the Tanchoma, this, this Midrash says this was his eulogy over his wife, Sarah. And Abraham began to cry over her and he said, A woman of valor who can find the heart of her husband, trust in her. To which specific incident did he refer when he said, please say that you are my sister. She bestows goodness upon him and never evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax, and y'all know the rest. The Eshet Chayil is the eulogy 
the great honor that we pray over our wives every, every Arab Shabbat connects us to that place. And we're going to talk about that place in just a, a little bit. Sarah was the greatest of seven prophetesses, greater than Avram Avinu himself. And she was coated with the Rach HaKodesh. Sarah had a particular tikkun that she needed to fulfill. She found herself captured by Pharaoh and Avimelech. Y'all remember the story? She didn't touch them. What was really going on, according to the uh, Shem Mishmuel, the Shem Mishmuel says that Sarah had a particular place in roll beside Avraham's side. And this is to make tikkun for when the serpent had to get through to Adam, he went through Chava. And what, what did Pharaoh try to do other than to take down the king, Avraham? And he had to go through Sarah. And she said, no thanks. This is my destiny. This is why I'm here. She made tikkun in that very moment, restoring all people who will go through her back to the Gan Eden. Can you dig it? There was just one problem. Just one problem. She didn't have any children. This was a big issue. Uh, Keturah, can you put that, that picture up on the... I want to show you guys something. So I got a book here about the daily life in biblical times. And I want to read something to you about uh, this journey. Now, you can see Ur of the Chaldeans, the, the trek that they made on this side of the Euphrates. They followed it all the way up to Haran, which is in southern Turkey. They stayed close to the uh, waterways. And then from Haran, Hashem says, I need you to go to Canaan. They get there, and there's a famine. And from that famine, they're forced to go to Egypt. And when Hashem spoke to Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, here, I'm going to give you a gift, and y'all go ahead and get up out of here. And he gave her Hagar. That was his gift. He also had a marriage contract written up and put deeded land into it and said, here you go, Sarah. You can also have Goshen. Y'all just get on up out of here. So there was a legal right to Goshen when, when the Jews went there later on in life. How about that? So this is an epic journey. My notes have it here that this is 2,175 miles. It's the same as traveling on foot from Moscow to Berlin to Madrid or from New York to Miami and then back to New York. The highest of, of, the, of the mountains was 9,800 feet. They also had to go through the Sinai Desert. So you're talking about extreme cold temperatures and extreme hot temperatures. You're talking about uh, what we're looking at here, nutrition. You think they was living high, eating barbecue brisket? They had some animals they had to graze. They probably had to stop at certain farms and work. Intense physical efforts. Sleep under the open sky. If they could find a cave, they would sleep in it. Always on the lookout for bandits and robbers. And in the winter, the Lebanon mountains, how about that? 
cold, and then you, then you go down to the heat, extreme temperatures. It probably took a toll on Sarah's body, probably contributed to the fact that she could not have a child. So I want to take this moment to look at the word lech lecha, exactly what it means. And uh, if you have your Zohar and lech lecha, you can turn, you can turn to page 69, Pritzker edition, 190B, lech lecha. When it says Abraham was 90 years old, Hashem appeared to him. Remember, we're trying to figure out why. Why did Hashem ask Abraham, and now we know Sarah, to go and leave Ur to Haran down to Canaan? Zohar has a very interesting take on this because it says, Who is a rock? Who is a tzur, everybody say tzur, 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 a rock except our God. If you take the vav out between the Zion and the Resh, what do you have? You have tziar, an artist. And what the Zohar is saying here is Hashem is painting a picture. In fact, they use the language here that he's fashioning an image within an image. There's only one artist, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Isn't that good? So there's a story here that as you bring forth Israel, you're going to subdue a great king and ruler. This is Hashem talking to Moshe. But there's a problem. Your son is uncircumcised. Come on, Moshe. And what happened is Gabriel descended in a flame of fire to burn him. This is a Zohar. Why a serpent? Because you're going to kill a great and mighty serpent. But your son is circumcised? How's that going to work out, Moshe? And what did Zipporah do? You've got to love these women in the Bible, man. Take care of business. It says she took a tzor. Zipporah took a flint, a tzor. Remember, what is a rock? Tzor. She took a tzor, a flint, and she said, nope. Ain't no serpent going to kill my husband. And she circumcised their son. And it says the Holy Spirit sparkled within her. Sound familiar? Holy Spirit descending upon a woman. And what does it say? What is Sur? It's healing. Because Suri is healing. So we know now that what Hashem is doing is He's an artist. He's painting a picture of an image within an image. But only the artist can see it. How about that? We look at the great artist Michelangelo. Right? Took a piece of discarded marble. Said, hmm, what's in there? And what does he do? He carves out David Amelo. How about that? 
A direct quote from Michelangelo is, every block of stone has a statue inside it. It's up to the sculptor to discover it. And another quote is, I saw the angel and carved until I set him free. That is what Hashem was doing. But there's still a problem. Sarah doesn't have an image in an image. That's no problem. Hashem said, there's no problem with me. But in order to accomplish the mission, she needs an image within her image. But if you take a look at her image as it is, it in and of itself is a miracle. It has survived this monstrosity of a journey, right? You can, I mean, you guys just ought to read what life was like back then. Very, very strenuous and difficult. And what happens? Hashem gives them the strength, the fortitude to make it. And you take a look at your body. You take a look at all the, the, the magnificence that Hashem has created in you. How many millions and millions of intestinal cells that we have. 200, over 200 bones, 650 muscles, 30 feet of intestines in your body. How about that? 60,000 miles of capillaries. Did you know? 60,000 miles. I said 60,000 miles of blood vessels. I mean, come on. What's going on here? This is the work of an artist. Your brain's about three pounds. Spinal cord is two feet in length, and 10 billion nerves are running 250 miles an hour. I got to calm down. I'm going to embarrass my wife. Your nose can smell over 50,000 smells, but only one nostril at a time. Yeah, the other nostril trade off about every three, four hours, give each other a break. You didn't know that? I mean, I could go on and on and on, but this is the artist now. This is what the artist does. He's painting a picture. And who are we to tell the artist, you can't paint that picture? You can't give her a child. That's impossible. Uh, I don't think so. What did the sculptor see in Sarah? He saw an image in an image. He saw the Akidah ram. He saw the very shofar that we would use from that ram that would enunciate the coming of the Mashiach. He saw that the word shofar comes from the word shefer, which means umbilical cord. And in the blowing of that shofar, it will resurrect and cause you to come alive again. That's what the sculptor sees. We just see a 90-year-old woman. No, 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 no. That ain't how it's going down. Remember the eulogy. Remember the woman of valor. Can you imagine when my mom passed away last year? I asked Rabbi to speak at her, at her funeral. And Hashem spoke to him to read the Eshet Chayil of my mom. Why is that important? 
Because the Shem Ishwell tells us that the cave of Machpelah is halfway between this world and Gan Aden. And that all souls pass through there on their way to the Olam HaNeshamot. How are all souls able to stop at the cave? Because Sarah is buried there. And all of us go through her. She's our mother. What does the sculptor see? When she speaks to him, again, as they can read, forgive me, but I'm going to have to steal another verse from your portion next week. I have grown old. I have delicate skin. That's what Sarah says. What's the word? Shomer man told me that that word is Edna. And the root of it is Eden. An image within an image. Inside of her, Hashem saw the Garden of Eden. And then if he did not give her a miracle inside of her, then none of us would be able to go back because she's the one that made tikkun for the, the, the chet, the original chet in the Garden of Eden. And until somebody makes tikkun for that, there's no way we're going back. And she did it. So the miracle has to come through her. I was supposed to give you a drosh about the virgin birth, but there's just too much information. But... I just want you to realize that she had some issues. She could not have a child. What does the sculptor say? Oh, you want a tree? Okay. There's your tree. You like your tree? Oh, you want a child? Okay. Let me just paint that right here. There you go. There's your child. By the way, I painted that child very special. He's going to save the world. He's the Akira. He's the one that millions and millions of my children are going to pray in his merit on Rosh Hashanah. So I want to conclude with this. That when Hashem created the animals, they have their own instinct and spirituality, if you will. All the angels have their own intelligence and spirituality, if you will. Neither of the two can grow and have potential like man has. That's why it says when Hashem created the world, He said it's tov me'od. The word me'od can be rearranged to spell Adam. The very good, you are the very good. Man is the very good. Man has the potential to realize all that Hashem has created. And that is why the mission was given to Avram and Sarah, Avram Avinu, to lead his family 2,175 miles, at least, in treacherous territory, to make tikkun, to bring us the Akidah, to bring us Yeshua. The capacity and the ability to see is beyond yourself. The visions and the goals and the endless open opportunities that Hashem has placed before you are yours that must be grasped by faith. And every one of us have this potential, but none of us have the same potential. No two human beings share the same potential. Each one of you is unique. Nobody can do someone else's tikkun. 
Let's say that together. Nobody can do someone else's tikkun. Your fingerprints are unique for a reason. Because Hashem has something for you to do. And only you can do it. Can you see the image within the image? Will you allow Hashem to paint the canvas of your life and tell a beautiful story? If you do like Avram Avinu and Sarah, if you follow Him and say yes and keep Torah while you do it, I guarantee you 100% sky is the limit. Amen? Baruch Hashem.